0: Sports Talk, Talk New York, New York with York your hosts host, Mark, Mark Rosenman Worden and AJ Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs. The Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Salomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ.
1: Joining us now is a man who over a 13-year Major League Baseball career played with eight teams. He batted 284, 234 home runs, 760 RBIs, 630 runs scored, 1,173 hits, 224 doubles, 25 triples in 1,223 games. He's a two-time All-Star, the 1989 National League Most Valuable Player. Hall of Fame catcher Gary Carter gave him the nickname World for his ability to play and do it all. It is a pleasure to welcome a member of the 1986 World Championship New York Mets, Kevin Mitchell, to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Kevin.
0: Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great. Just got off the golf course. Sun in the sand out here in San Diego. So, um, you know, it's nice.
1: all good. Nice. Uh, you know, a, a little different neighborhood in San Diego in the golf course than the one you grew up in, obviously. And if you're a New York Met fan and you follow the 86 Mets, you constantly heard the story about the rough neighborhood in which Kevin grew up in San Diego, as well as his involvement in gangs. But what we really didn't hear enough about was about your grandmother, Josie Whitfield. What impact did your grandmother have on your life, Kevin?
0: Oh, that was a great woman. Uh, too bad she's, um, you know, rest in peace. Grandma died uh, a couple of years ago. She's up in that uh, that mansion we all trying to get to. You know? I mean, she's been a great influence on in my life. And, uh, you know, I just, I pretty much don't like mentioning her name. I know she's in a good place, you know, but uh, uh, I was thankful to have a woman like that in my life.
1: You, know, you attended several different high schools in San Diego, including Lincoln High School, Claremont High School, and Crawford High School. You played high school football. I believe you boxed a little bit. And if I'm not mistaken, you even played water polo as well, but no high school baseball. You take a look at what you well, were able to accomplish, obviously an MVP. How is that even possible?
0: Well, I didn't go to Lincoln High School at all. Oh, no? I didn't go to Lincoln, no. I didn't go to Lincoln. My brothers no went to Lincoln. I, 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 went to, I went to Crawford High School and Claremont High School. I ended up graduating from Claremont High School uh, with Bobby Garing.
1: And so, uh, how did you not play baseball at high school?
0: Well, my, I was concentrating on football, and I was out in the streets a lot. So, you know, And uh, I ended up playing a one-year alliance tournament, and then I ended up playing. Somebody asked me to play against San Diego State, and that's how I saw out there uh, what Dean Young were. So now the, the story – uh,
1: The story goes that a friend took you to a New York Mets-sponsored baseball tryout at Grossmont College in San Diego in 1980. You hit two home runs off of Bud Black, who was a left-handed pitcher in the Kansas City Farm system. Your hitting ability impressed the scouts so much that the Mets signed you, giving you a $1,500 signing bonus plus $600 monthly in salary as an undrafted Free agent. Do you remember yes, what the emotions of that day were for you? And could you imagine from that day forward, nine years later, you would be the National League most valuable player?
0: Well, that just tell you how uh, young kids. It, it ain't how you how you get in the door. Make sure the door closed. You know, it ain't all about the signing bonus. It's just getting through the door and and doing what you got to do to play this game to to get through. But uh, I faced Buddy Black, and Buddy Black was already in the big leagues. I didn't know who he was. I thought he was a pitcher for San Diego State. You know, (laughs) he was just getting some work in, and um, somebody came and told me, do you know who you don't run off of? I said, no. He said he's one of the ace pitchers for the uh, Kansas City Royals. And I said, wow, you don't have nothing. (laughs) You know? (laughs) But, you know.
1: Oh, wow. You know. You then begin your journey to the majors in a farm system which was loaded with talent because of so many bad years the Mets had endured prior to that. You start as a 19-year-old under a manager of one of our favorite guys, Al Jackson, at Kingsport of the Appalachian Rookie League in 81. You lead that team in hitting with a three thirty-five batting average, led the team with home runs. What did you learn about yourself that first year away from San Diego in professional baseball?
0: Well, I was just thankful to get away from the, out of the inner city, you know what I'm saying, because the way I was uh, coming up, you know, everybody thought I was going to be locked up or, or dead somewhere on the street. But uh, I was thankful to go play baseball, and I think that's what really helped me out. And I think the the guy who really helped me out when I first came up was Bob Schaefer. He was my manager coming up through a lot of minor leagues, and he really took me under his shoulder and uh, taught me about, you know, how to, how to present myself and how to play this game.
2: So, of all the things, you started never having played high school baseball, or truly, really organized baseball, and now you're in professional baseball. What is the biggest thing you had to learn about baseball, about your game, to say, I have to work on this more than anything else?
0: Well, I, I, you know what I really thought? Um, you know, I, I was like, man, these guys are paying me to hit this baseball. I wonder what would happened if I had a team You know, and uh, I just wanted to play the game, you know, and well. Uh, and the guy that too, another guy that helped me out when I got to the big leagues was uh, was uh, 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 was the first base coach that was with the Mets uh, that died. Uh,
1: Bill Robinson.
0: Bill Robinson, Robinson. yes sir. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Robinson, took me on his wing and really helped me out so much. You know, because all I ever wanted to do was just uh, when I first learned how to play, I was really I really wanted to just stay up in the big leagues and play the game, and he. Like I said, he took me on his shoulder like a son and uh, taught me how to present myself and and play and, and get there.
1: You know, the following season, after the first in rookie ball, you move on to Lynchburg of Class A Carolina under manager Don Manzone. You hit 318. There's a little more talent at that point at Lynchburg. There are 11 guys who will eventually make the majors, including Roger McDowell and Lloyd McClendon. And, and the Mets, as an organization, are trying to lay that foundation for the future. You move up the ladder to Jackson of Double A Texas League in 83. And on the field, once again, you perform incredibly 299, 15 home runs, 85 RBIs. But even in 83, which is. It's almost unfathomable if you, you look at the times we are now. 1983, I remember when you first came up reading about an article about the racism that you had to deal with when you were playing the Cardinals farm team in Arkansas. Do you remember that oh, no game I was ta- talking about?
0: I remember that. Yes, sir. I remember that. I was at third base, and uh, I was dealing with a lot of in Arkansas. It was Little Rock, Arkansas, playing against the Cardinals, and I... It was a lot of people at third base calling me the N-word on, you know, do you want some chicken and all this stuff, man. I dealt with a lot of stuff, and I couldn't deal with it. I Personally, I wanted to fight whoever, you know, over in the stands. So,
1: so, so how you do you know? deal – I mean, it, yeah. you know, we talk about it, you know, 1983. We're not talking the 50s, the 60s. Yeah. This is 1983, and, and like you said, you wanted to go in the stands – Who, I mean, who helped you? How do you, you know, you're you're trying to make it up the the major league ladder, you know, and there's enough to deal with as a kid, you know, being away from home, trying to figure out how to be professional. Then you have to deal with that and and the rage that it entails. How do you stay focused enough to continue to play in that, that environment?
0: Another thing, Bob Schaefer. He, I got to tell you, he's the hero in my book. And I, you know what, what makes it so good? I still talk to that man every once every full moon. He calls me and see how I'm doing. You know, it's just a the a relationship that I had with him that took me under, that really helped me out. And and uh, I just say I can't say no no, you know, too much about the man because he's a big part of my life. You know, where my father wasn't there. You know, and uh, these are guys that that helped me present myself and help me get myself ready to play this game.
1: If you just tuned in with speaking to 1986 New York Mets World Champion, 1989 Most Valuable Player of the National League, Kevin Mitchell, I have to imagine that 1984 was an emotional roller coaster for you. You're now at the highest rung of the Mets farm system with the Tidewater ties. While playing for Tidewater, you get word that your stepbrother Donald was shot to death in a section of San Diego known as Little Africa. Your first instinct was to leave the, the team and go home. But teammates Herm Willingham and Clint Hurdle talked yes. you out of that. How difficult was that for you, that decision at age 22 to make? And what did Herm and Clint say to you to convince you to stay?
0: Well, like I said, another guy in my life is Herm Willingham. He was uh, he was the guy that was my roommate, and that really kept me there. You know, it wasn't used to me going home and and get myself in trouble. You know what happened to my brother. So, but uh. Like I said, God is good, and uh, you know Herm was, like I said, was a big part that really kept me there, and Glenn the Hurdle was there too, you know, in Triple A with me. So and that's where I learned how to, uh, you know, just deal with what was going on. And Grandma didn't definitely want, didn't want me to come home, so I had to stay somewhere. And uh, I think those guys really helped me out to, to be a better person and a better man.
1: And by staying there, uh, you get rewarded by being called up in September for the Mets. And yeah. on September 4th, yeah. 1984, Bush Stadium, which it is kind of ironic considering what you had to deal with you know, playing the Cardinals' farm team in Arkansas. You're now making your major de- league debut at Bush Stadium. Ninth inning, manager Davey Johnson calls on you to pinch hit for Ed Lynch against Bob Forsh, what I mean, I can't imagine what that's like for a kid that never played Little League, didn't play high school, not Little League, I mean high school ball. No, I played Little no, League. Right, yeah. right, high school ball, never played high school ball, gets you know signed in a tryout, and a few years later now you're, you're called upon to pinch hit in the Major League. What was that first day like for you in the majors?
0: Well, like I tell everybody else, I wasn't nervous at all. I, mean, I think nervous is having a gun to your head. You know, and it came natural to me. You know that I was thankful to be there. You know, and it was a blessing to have so many guys around me that really helped me out. And uh, you know, and uh, I think what really got me prepared to uh, to play that year was, uh, you know, being around Keith Fernandez, guys like that, and and and, and um, Gary Carter. These guys really helped me out. I tell you, uh, it just like I said, it was just an honor to be there and be around guys that got me prepared to pinch it and to uh have myself ready to play in this game. And I think by coming up in the big leagues that year it, it was just uh man, i tell you it was it was a real high for me, you know, and uh and um it was you know, I just could I couldn't give enough praise to the guys that really kept me around the game.
1: It's interesting you mentioned those two guys, and there's a third guy that, you know, I I know that Gary Carter obviously gave you that nickname, World, which is the the biggest compliment coming from a guy who also, you know, kind of did it all on the field, you know, played the outfield when the Mets needed him to do, played a little third base for the Mets as well, and, you know, Keith always talks glowingly about you on the air, and another guy who always talks fondly of you is Ron Darling. What do you think it is about your game that all these years later, you know, that Ron Darling and Keith will still mention, you know, how important you were to that team? Ch- in a team full of stars, Straw, Doc, you know, Ray Knight, Howard, you know, so many guys on that team that your name always comes up as one of the keys to that team, including Davey Johnson.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, man, you know, like I said, I, 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 I learned from these guys, I fed off of these guys, especially Keith Hernandez. I mean, to this day, that guy is, I feel, is the best player i ever played around in my life, you know, because it seemed like this guy here, he knew what was going to happen before it happened. And he, all, when I was in the lineup, he'd come up to me and he'd tell me, he said, he said, world, let's see who's going to uh, do this, who's going to get the first hit, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. He, he prepared me every time I played. You know, in front of him, I was, I was sometimes hitting second. He said, well, this see who will get the most hits today. And that's how I learned from him. This guy, I feel, he's a Hall of Famer in my book no matter what happens, you know. And uh, and I think he should be in there if he ain't already in. I don't know. But I think he should be in the Hall of Fame because the, he's a, he, the guy is a baseball player. He's a player in my book. He's the best player I've ever played around in my life.
1: Again, we're talking to Kevin Mitchell, and you you said that, you know, see who gets the first hit. If I'm not mistaken, not bets, but he would also say, you know, who's going to get the first home run today, you or me, depending on who the pitcher yeah. was, right? I mean, he would push mm-hmm. you. right? So, yeah. you know, it's interesting. We, we talked about that first game in 84. You returned to, to Tidewater for the entire 1985 campaign. You're hitting improved from the previous year, yet you didn't get a call-up. Were you surprised that you didn't play for the big club in 85, and, and was that somewhat disappointing? And how did that no. motivate you for spring training the following
0: year? Not at all. Not at all. When Davey Johnson... I played a joke on him when he sent me down in spring training <laughs> that one year in the big league. I went to him and I said, I took a knife in there in the in, the, in, the, in his office. I said, you cut me, I'm going to cut you, you know. <laughs> but like I said, these guys, man, I mean, it, it, if it would have happened, it happened. You know, it, it, none of that stuff didn't concern me. I was just thankful to be out there playing and being out, out of the ghetto and playing baseball, man, and learning from – guys that's already been there and learning from. Uh, when I played A that year, I played with a guy Chappie, you know, Michael Chappie. You know, this guy was unbelievable in AAA with me and I just loved being around guys like that, that that I learned from, you know, that I fed off of, you know, and and that's what I was. I was never a follower. I always tried to be a leader, but, I, but these guys was leaders in my book. You
1: know, it's interesting that the, you know, being thankful keeps coming back as a the theme to you. And I'm wondering, you know, you broke camp with the Mets in 86. Manager Davey Johnson played you as a rookie at six different positions in the field, all yes. but pitcher, catcher, and second base.
0: And never played them before in my life.
1: Right. <laughs> and in that part-time role, being moved all over the diamond, you hit two seventy-seven, hit 12 home runs. So I'm wondering, is it, did the, the attitude of being just so thankful to be there Give you that ability to just wherever you would need it to go and play and not think about it because today guys you know they talk about if they're having a slump and they're moved around the diamond well it's because I'm you know I'm not I need a a defined role I need to know that I'm playing left field and batting third every day to get comfortable you hear that a lot that people want defined roles you came to the ballpark every day not knowing what position you were going to play.
0: That's I think that's all bull you know. (laughs) If, be thankful that you're there and, and try to play. every. That's why when I work with my kids now, I say, you know what, if, if a coach got you playing here, play there because you never know. If you can play everywhere on the field, that's a plus, man. You know what I'm saying? And be thankful that you're out there playing. And, uh, you know, because I didn't, like I, like you said, I never knew what, what – if I was playing in the game, i come to the ballpark having a mindset that I want to play. If I wasn't playing, I'm just happy that I'm there. And hopefully I get in the game, you know. And like I said, if I was sitting on that bench, I was learning from guys. Kiefer come by me, and I wasn't even playing. He's the bench. I'm fixing to get a hit. I'm going to hit this guy to the left field. That's how, that's how blessed this guy was. The guy was a great hitter, man, in my book. And, I, and I'm sitting there learning from him while he's on the field, and I'm on the bench.
2: So one of the things that people say is about moving Players around position is that you know they start thinking and the fielding affects their hitting. How were you able to block out what may have been playing on, on unfamiliar positions, uh, and how separate out the fielding from the hitting?
0: Because you know what I tell everybody, I wasn't nervous at all. If they was put me there at a position, I, I just had to go out there and play to my ability and you know and have the talent to play. I had a lot of talent as a kid growing up. You know, playing in the field, what, you know, different positions, what it, it came natural to me. I knew what I was doing. I mean, when I got to the big leagues, when they told me I was going to be playing at different positions, okay, so be it. I had to do it. You know, I had to do what I had to do because I felt like, you know what, these guys here, these, these people are paying me this money. I wonder what's going to happen if I go out here and keep playing well and keep playing well. And when I left New York, I, I went on and did bigger and better things, you know. <laughs> by think? playing in New York and playing behind the fans in New York, it made me the player who I was.
1: You know, it's interesting to note that your first at bat with the Mets was in a pinch hitting role, but maybe your most famous one was also in a pinch hitting role. So take us back to the famous tenth inning game six of eighty six World Series after Wally Backman, and Keith Hernandez, uh, are you know retired for the uh, first two outs. You're called on to pinch hit for Rick Aguilera after Gary Carter singled with two outs. Now, AJ and I have been lucky enough to have 13 I mean, different I guys. About, I would
2: say 72 people have yeah. described <laughs> this for right. you know?
1: 13 players, as well as manager Davey Johnson, have been on the show over the years, and we and always think go the back. I hot dog vendor. Yeah, I think yeah, the I, hot dog mean,
0: vendor, I know the what you guys gonna say yeah. already.
1: No, no. <laughs> so wait. So there's so many different stories about where you were when you were called on to pinch hit. One has you already out of uniform. Another had you on the phone making travel arrangements home, which both are or, you know, basically the team makes travel arrangements, so that I, I think can be debunked right away. Not home. The come team, on, yes, you here. guys so,
0: know better than that. Right. I'm a rookie, <laughs> right. So, right? So come on, <laughs> and exactly. I'm trying to make my plane reservations <laughs> where I can't pay for my ticket to go home. Exactly.
2: So, <laughs> so you're making so the bus pay reservations.
0: Pay then, come on, everybody should know. Why would I be trying to make my reservations to, to go you. home? Thank and you. Thank you. pay for my own ticket and what the Mets pay for you to go home right. as you so, know, a young kid.
1: So walk us through that inning, all right? From the moment you're called upon to pinch hit to scoring the tying run on the wild pitch to Mookie and then watching the rest of Mookie's at bat. Walk us through that.
0: Well, you know I was, come on, I, I'm in the clubhouse with uniform off. How can that be? And I'm ready to go and hit. But you know, you know, back in when I was playing at that time you know, I didn't play against right-handed pitching that much. Right. I played against lefty. So I didn't understand why I was pinching in that situation anyway, but you know, I think Charles if I remember,
1: I think also because in that situation, if I remember correctly, Heath was the other guy that would have been the pinch hitter, but I think he was already used earlier in that game, I think. I don't, you know, it, uh, I'm getting old,
0: <laughs> so I could have yeah, that. You know, what, you know what, everybody's got to have a gimmick, you know what I'm saying? Everybody, it was all good when, when I was a young kid that, hey, I was in the clubhouse, I was making my <laughs> phone call, but you know, I'm 56 years old now, and you know what I'm saying? All that old, that stuff, all it was all fake. You know, it was all just fake news. I want to say, you know? everybody <laughs> say fake news. <laughs> fake news back in '86. I love it. All right, yeah, so so, yeah, so walk yeah. us
2: through what actually happened. From the,
1: for, yeah. yeah, from your perspective, the, the feeling of you know seeing you know getting the hit, keeping the inning alive, yeah. and, and then getting to third base and, and the wild pitch, and just the the, the emotions. Of you know being down to the last out of probably the obviously the best team in baseball that year, to being yeah. you know a strike away from being eliminated. Take us through but, that roller coaster.
0: But why? You know what I'm saying? There, there it goes again. I'm not a follower. I'm a leader. I I wasn't gonna be if I'm in a position they they put me in. I wasn't gonna make the last out. If I woulda. New York would have been boring me at this day right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, speak, right, yeah. yeah speak
1: to Carlos. You know, Beltran. know, Carlos will tell you. All. Right. That yeah, yeah. Carlos
0: Beltran will tell you all about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And being in New York, you don't want to make the last out of the World Series. Come on now. <laughs> and uh, you know, I would have been the I would have been the zero, not the hero. But I, I was thankful to be the hero. You know, and, and then having a roommate that Sheraldi that always told me how he would pitch. <laughs> so that's why I took the first pitch and he threw me a fastball in what he told me how he would pitch me when we was in minor league. And then he was throw me a slider next pitch. If he would have threw me a fastball in the next pitch, that ball probably would have hit me in the neck because <laughs> I was going out there looking for the slider, and I ended up pulling it in the left field.
1: Amazing. And, and on the wild pitch, <laughs> what, you know, what's a surge of adrenaline when you cross the plate and, and Shea Stadium is I, – I was there. It was rocking. You, oh,
0: i, I got to give that to Buddy Harrelson. Because he told me, he said, this guy bounces a lot of balls, uh, Stanley. He said, this guy bounces around, a lot of balls. Mitch, be ready for the pass ball. Wow. He's, he's the one that, that gave me, you know, he's the one that told me before it was even going to happen. He said, this guy bounces a lot of balls, so be ready. You're going to score on this. He's going to bounce the ball. And Buddy Arlson was the guy who uh, who who did all that. It wasn't me.
1: So now, so now you're in the dugout. And as Murph calls it, a slow roller, you know, down the first base line. When that goes through Buckner's legs,
0: what are you thinking? That's unbelievable, ain't it? A <laughs> guy that's a, a great fielder, but like as being as an infielder, them are the hardest balls to get. I don't. I rather really have a a ball hit out of a gun hit at me, and I'm gonna pick it. Them slow balls, them the worst balls to get as an infielder. So I never thought he would do that, but when he did it. It was just our time, you know. It was just, like Mookie said, he would have beat that out if he would have got yeah, it yeah. anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure, especially with that bag, bad ankle he had. So Yeah, yeah. So after that championship season, despite Davey Johnson's protest, you traded to your hometown San Diego team as part of an eight-player deal. What's your initial reaction to that trade, as well as the talk surrounding it, that Mets GM Frank Cashin was afraid that you would be a bad influence on Doc <laughs> and Darrell?
0: And you know, like, a, there we go again with that. And you, let me tell you something: mm. these guys was in the big leagues before me. How can I be a bad influence <laughs> on guys that's already there? Right. You understand? Right. And I, I, you know, I hate the, the. I love Doc. I love Straw. I talk to Doc once every week, once a week, because as long as I can hear his voice, I'm happy with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. With all the stuff that's going on, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I love Doc.
1: Yep. Doc has And I, yeah.
0: I don't. I don't try not to downgrade nobody as a rookie, how can I be a bad influence for two guys that's already there and establish themselves? I got that kind of power with two guys? Come on, man. It was just, I was used as a an scapegoat and as a young kid, but I'm not going to keep taking the downfall for these guys that's already been there. I'm not going to do that because I was the one who left right. and, and <laughs> did bigger and better things. Not, I didn't fall back Go know, going into drugs or whatever, alcohol, whatever they was on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So how did it and feel? Everybody thought I was a drinker yeah. and thought I was going to be a bad boy. But what happened? I went on and one on the MVP and did bigger and yeah. better things.
2: So how did it feel going back to your hometown? Basically, sort of the, the conquering hero. You come back in a much better situation than you left and certainly you're hanging out in different neighborhoods. What was it like to play in front of the people who were there when you were growing well, up?
0: Which was very short-lived,: well, yeah. I'm going to tell you, yeah, I'm an older man now, but people won't going to say what they want to say. I don't think San Diego was, uh, was ready for me because I grew up in the inner city. I can't stop people to come from coming to the game, gang members or wherever, wherever I hung out. I, they paid their money to get in, you know, and they felt like these guys was, I was hanging out. Another thing, people thought I was a drinker. I drank liquor. I never drank in my life. I don't even drink now. So they don't think what they want to think. People want, they gonna stereotype you the way they want to stereotype you. They stereotype me that I was a gang member. If I was a gang member, why I was never documented as a gang member. I hung out with gang members.
1: So, yeah, I mean, there's so much misinformation about Kevin. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I was yeah. never one. Right.
0: Was uh, I ever documented at no. one? And, no. And
1: there's other stories out there that is absolutely insane. But, you know, it's also interesting because that career as a Padre lasted 62 games. You're on the move again, yeah. and this time it's the division rival San Francisco, a seven-player deal. You leave a team that's 28-53 and 53 for Roger Craig's Giants, who were at that point a contending team. Yeah. Right off the bat, you make a uh, contribution to your new team, hitting a pair of two-run yeah. homers uh, against a the Cubs at Wrigley, 7-5 Giants victory. You settle in at third base, bat 306, hit 15 home runs, 44 RBIs. You guys capture the National League West Crown. You lose to the Cardinals in seven games. You're eight for thirty in that series with a homer, two RBIs. Back to back seasons in the postseason as your first two years in the majors. Um, you know, I have to imagine that getting away, and also Larry Boa was not, you know, you speak to anyone no. that played for Larry Boa. No. Not and, the uh, greatest.
0: There's, there's another again. But, I don't want to downgrade nobody, but me and Larry Boyd, we didn't get along. I think he was intimidated by me like everybody else, you know? I, I'm a I'm – a, and like I said, we all grown men, understand? Respect me as a man, I'm going to respect you. We all got kids too, but I didn't get along with Larry Boyd because of the way he talked to us as a yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that's you know, well document. I'm, I'm going to put that out there. No, no. I never downgraded Larry Boyd, but he downgraded me as a player. Yeah. Most, Go ahead most and do what you got to do, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit up here and take mess off you. I'm not scared of you or nothing. That's the whole thing. I think he was intimidated by me.
1: And you you speak to a lot of guys that played for Bauer, and uh, you know he might have been a very you know that act and his toughness on a field you know was uh, an attribute that was great on the field because he did get the most out of his ability on a field. But you speak to players that played for him, and uh, I don't find many guys that have a, a kind word for him. Um, you know, in '88, the Giants add um, center fielder Brett Butler to inject some speed into that lineup. Matt Williams comes up from AAA to play third base. You move to the outfield. Will Clark at first base. Giants have a really good, solid nucleus. And you set the tone early in, 18, in 1989, making a yeah. defensive play that 29 years later is still talked about in a late April game at Busch Stadium. Cardinals, Ozzy Smith set a fly ball to left field. Why don't you take it from there? And for guys who are young, and, you know, it's a YouTube <laughs> era. I think everyone's seen it. But walk us through it you know, from your perspective.
0: That was that young Thundercat at me then, boy. Yeah. You know. <laughs> You know, as a kid, I grew up in the boys' clubs, which I think kids should always join, you know, their boys' club near their neighborhood. I played woofer ball my whole life, loved the game, you know, and as a little kid, as a young kid, you know, I we didn't have gloves. We played with no gloves in, 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 in our boys' clubs, you know. Sometimes we played baseball with no gloves. I mean, that just happened, you know. It's just something that happened. I didn't feel like I could put my glove up on my left side, on my right side. I just stuck my hand up. Like I told uh, Terry Kennedy, I said, it probably wasn't graceful, but it was an out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the best you know? part of that, if you watch that, is Terry Kennedy's reaction as he turns to, to get back behind the plate. He's just grinning from ear to ear. It's great yeah, stuff.
0: You know, TK, I got in the dugout, and the TK said, Mitch, do you realize what you just done? <laughs> I said, Yeah, it's an out. I'm about to hit. Matter of <laughs> fact, I let off the Indian and hit a home run off Tudor.
1: It's like they always, like Ralph Carney used to always say, you know, you've seen so many games, and it's always a case that a guy makes a great defensive play in the field. He always leads off the next inning, and, and that's what the happens. Yep,
0: yep, I'm ready to hit. That's <laughs> all I'm ready to do. It may not, I may not be graceful out there, but I tried to get the job done. You know,
1: and, and so. that was the springboard because both you and the Giants have a banner season. You had your best season with the Giants that season, batted 291, league best, 125 RBIs, 47 home runs, leading the team to playoffs, winning the National League's Most Valuable Player Award, the first by a Giant since Willie McCovey in 1969. You added a 353 average and two home runs in the NLCS to help the team to its first World Series appearance since 1962. Looking back at your career and everything you've accomplished, the 86 World Championship, what does that most valuable player award mean to you?
0: Beautiful thing, you know. If if a person can win an MVP, I mean, in, in my life, you know, that's something to tell your grandkids and show your grandkids and tell them, you know, hey, this was the best. I was the best player in the game winning that. You understand? And it's it's a very uh, a beautiful achievement to win. And I think people that win them, you know, like the best players in the game, Trout, Mookie Bats, I think he should win one. I think Norton Otto should win an MVP, you know, in his career. because I, I, I love that guy that played for Colorado Rock, the third baseman. You don't know me, but I met him before, and that the, at the MLB golf tournament. And I always wanted to. I'm like a little kid when it comes to him, because I love his game. Wow, I yeah. love the way he plays. Yeah. Period.
1: Yeah, he's a throwback for sure.
0: Um, and I told him what I told him last year when I saw him at the MLB golf tournament. I said, "If you don't win an MLB MLBP, <laughs> uh, uh, MVP one year," I said, I'm going to go and fight somebody. <laughs> a
2: little, it's a little friendly pressure.
1: L- Listen, you, you stayed on the field in Arkansas. You can't go beating up people. Because, no, <laughs> no,
0: no, no, no. <laughs> Not right now, you know, because I'm just now healing. I just started walking again a couple of years ago. Yeah, so you, you had some serious
1: health issues. What, what was that about?
0: Well, I had a spinal cord injury where the cervical in my neck was, was served by the bulging disc, and it put me in the paralysis. So I'm thankful to be where I'm at right now. I'm walking. I'm healthy. I'm getting up, moving around, man, and I'm I'm happy that I'm out here playing golf again with my friends. I live on the golf course. Awesome. I I enjoy every bit of it that I have because as as I was growing up, I always thought I was a lion. I thought nothing can ever happen to me until this happened to me. So they said if it's going on for years, it was like I had a bad car accident. And uh, it put me in the full paralysis. And uh, I tell you, I'm up walking again because they told me that I would never – it told me that I wasn't supposed to be walking again. I was supposed to be paralyzed from the neck down.
1: Well, We're, so, but we're I'm glad to hear that.
0: I got, you... a, I got a plate and four screws in my neck right now.
1: So. Well, we're glad that you're back on the golf course. We're glad that you're helping kids in, in baseball lessons. Oh, yeah. um, for that those is, of you who want to, you know, those of you, I mean, there's a great chapter in Eric Sherman's book about the 86 Mets. Yeah. That's I a, love that man. Yeah, love Eric, that man. Eric's
0: Eric is a good friend of mine. And I tell you what, Eric, if you're listening, I love you, man.
1: Eric, Eric is a listener of the show. Eric's been a, a guest many times on the show as well. Um, you know, we would like to see, you know, a full Kevin Mitchell book, <laughs> yeah. other than the one
0: chapter, because it, unbelievable life. Well, and everybody when, tells me I need to write a book, man. But you know what? I'm, I'm the type of guy that's like to stay. Like a mole. I like to stay okay. out of the way, you know.
1: <laughs> All right, Mitch, okay. thanks so much for your time tonight. And, and Enjoy more enjoyed it,
0: gentlemen, enjoyed uh,
1: it. And more importantly, thanks for maybe one of the greatest, you know, touching of home plate in Met history, that tying run that set the springboard for the uh mm-hmm. the last championship by the New York Mets. So thanks well, so much.
0: You know what? I love the New York fans. I love y'all, man. Y'all call New York my home. They gave me my start. They made me the player that I was. Just being in that in that atmosphere with those fans, and they're the greatest fans I ever played under.
1: Awesome. Be good, Mitch. Good hearing from you. All right, gentlemen. Y'all take okay. care.
0: You got Be it. Blessed.
1: Kevin right. Mitchell, nineteen eighty-six World Series champ, nineteen eighty-nine National League Most Valuable Player.